I hope you love some theater because you are listening to Keith Price's Curtain Call. So we have a very special episode today of Keith Price's Curtain Call. As you can tell, I am not Keith Price. <laughs> that joyous laughter across the table for me is Keith Price. Uh, my name is Chad Dugetz. I'm a producer on this show. Yes, he is. And um, I've known you, Keith, for about, well, I knew you, see. I met you three months before my son was born, or That's right around right. then, so se- almost seven years. Almost seven years. Yeah. I was Rosie O'Donnell's producer, and you were over uh, doing your thing at oh, Sirius yeah, XU. Yeah. And look at us now. And look at us now. And uh, <laughs> I, I am so excited to get to work with you on this show. I'm behind the scenes uh, often, uh, pressing the dials. But Keith, this is your baby. Yeah. This show is your baby. I kind of equate you when I see you interviewing all these celebrities coming in here and uh, Geneva Carr, who you brought in oh. here, and some amazing talent, the the king from The King and I, mm-hmm. who was just one of the nicest. Jose Lana. That's oh. my, okay, see that? Hear that voice, people? <laughs> this is exactly why I wanted to team up with Keith on this project. At least say, hey, let me help you in any way possible, because Aww. your love of Broadway is so deep. And it's not just love. And yes, you are the ultimate fanboy mm-hmm. of Broadway, but I also think you are one of the most... Uh, read people out there on Broadway. Like, you know who's coming where, shows, theaters, the backstage drama, which we don't talk about that much. But, you, you know, we, we do off mic. Off mic. <laughs> so that leads me to our first question. And today's show, uh, you're the star of this show. I This is crazy for me. I know. Okay. So I'm glad you agreed to do this. This so, is fun. So here is uh, the question I want to ask you. Keith. Yes. Yes. How does a little African-American boy mm-hmm. from Texas become one of the uh, great Patreons in that <laughs> supporter of, love of, advocate of Broadway. How wow. did that happen? How did that happen? Oh, my God, man. Well, it, it started when I was living in Texas, actually. And, and it's different because I guess we all naturally kind of you know have an affinity for certain things when we're younger. And I had an affinity for... Um, theater, I think, or just performance in general because I was one of those children that grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. And see, it's kind of interesting because people don't think of the church ultimately as a show. But I immediately locked into the idea of what the church and the performance and stuff like that is. It's like, it's all part of the same, you know, we all, the world's a stage of entertainment. And so I figured that part out very, very early. And then... I started meeting different types of adults who had different kinds of passions about theater and music and stuff. One of which was my um, very first music teacher, Miss. Um, she was also my neighbor. That's mm. the other thing too. Um, was my music teacher, Miss Howard, Jolyn Howard. And shout out Miss Howard. Shout out to Miss <laughs> Howard. Still around. Nice. Still teaching. Bless her heart. And she was the person who introduced me, and I will never forget it, to one song from the show Pippin. Okay. It was Corner of the Sky. And we were like in, you know, the the choir, the third and fourth graders. And what we would do is we would sing these songs and she would bring these things. And so she brought in Corner of the Sky. And I remember like clicking into that. And then she did this really great thing by telling us a lot about the story of Pippin and some of the people that were involved with Pippin, one of which was Irene Ryan, who played okay. the grandmother, Bertha. And she was, of course, Granny on the Beverly Hills Billies, sure, which we used course. to watch. In syndication yeah. at that age. And so I was like, oh, my God. So, like. She's not just this. She's not just granny. Yeah. She does this <laughs> other stuff. And so then um, my next door neighbor, um, 
Miss Betty Wiley, who, again, she's no longer with us. Mm. Um, but she loved movie musicals. Yeah. And she, we, we would go to her Which house. Which would make sense if you're living in Texas. You're not going to get to see live yeah, shows. You don't get to see things very no. often. And so she was the conduit ultimately in the end to discovering more about theater because she saw every movie musical when she was growing up yeah. at the movie theater. And, you know, and of course, we're, we are, you and I are both from the generation of the late, late shows. Absolutely. And the, all that, that stuff. Sunday afternoon movies and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so we would watch, like she would plan events to watch these Those movies. Shows, sure. So like, that's when I learned about, um, uh, oh my God, uh, I'm getting nervous thinking about it. Um, when we did, we had conversations about. Uh, um, Were oh they about God. certain shows? It was about they... it was about the actual movies, but she, you know, like uh, like singing in the rain and yeah, stuff sure. like that. And she would say to me that there was the escape factor. She used to talk about how she used to go yeah. to those movies, you know, like most people of that generation, to get away from whatever else was going on in Which the world. Which makes sense, because even historically, if you go back to the Great Depression, yeah. the theater still thrived because people needed to spend a nickel for two hours of any pleasure. Of any pleasure. To makes get away sense. from, what well, you know, to get away from the fact that you all you have is a nickel. Exactly. And so <laughs> she, she was one of those people that did it. And then as I got older, I started to discover other things. Like, you know, I always tell the story about about when I was nine years old and it was like a Sunday morning and I was supposed to go to church for Sunday school and I was sick that morning. Mm. And so I wound up not going and it was great because I stayed home and I got to watch for the first time West Side Story. Wow. And so I was watching West Side Story at nine. Were you a jet or a shark? I think a shark only because my parents were from Honduras and so I had to stick with the Latin Latin, tradition. Sure, of course. Um, And... (laughs) What was so weird was I remember that that scene when she's like, "Give a bullet for me, Chino," you know, <laughs> and I just remember sitting there just bawling my eyes out sure. and not recognizing why I was crying because it was just, you know, it's like, you know, and then they're shooting people and then they're dancing and then they're singing and then there's all this stuff and she lifts the skirt and she does the thing and a cha cha and, and I had all of that going on at one point in time and it just struck me as. There's something really about this that I I love. And then that's when I started looking at other kinds of musicals. And then, you know, with Miss Howard, the best thing about having her live across the street was she was also available to talk more yeah. about the musical things. So like she her, fostered the conversation. She fostered the conversation. And one of the big people that she loved, 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 loved was Marvin Hamlish. She lo- and you know, and I remember when um he passed away and I had, you know, got on the, the the social media and started, you know, I really think that Bert, he was one of those people, Marvin <laughs> Hamlish, blah, 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 chorus line, all this stuff. You know, and I remember in the moment attributing my like and love of him to her. And she was just like so floored because, I mean, you know, she has since taught hundreds and thousands of people. And I'm almost a certain age, which we don't have to tell. But, no, 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 no. But, but you know, 29 looks good. 29 is great. And, you know, so <laughs> she she just is, you know, for as a teacher, that really went very deep for her because she realized what she did. And, you know, and because of that, I remember, you know, always thinking that at one point I was going to move back to New York because I was born in Brooklyn, but I moved to Texas. Yes. And I was going to move back to New York and I was going to figure out how to have a life either in the theater, near the theater, around the theater. I was going to do it as a comic. I was going to do this. All of these different energies to do it. And I just remember just being so in love with the stage. And man, how who knew it would have brought me this far? So you you moved back to New York. How old are you when you come back to New York after Texas? When I Texas? came back to New York after Texas, I was 28 years old. Oh, so you're in the prime of like 
self-consumerism, mm-hmm. pick it for one, doesn't matter what it looks exactly. like. Exactly. You so just you're go. able to really go. Yeah, and it was at that time too when I came here, you know, some 20 years ago, it was TKTS I don't care. Yes. We used to call it Broadway potpourri. You know, just like go to the thing and buy whatever was available. And I'm going through that right now and loving yeah. it. And if you're listening to this outside of New York City, which is a strong possibility. Absolutely. Uh, TKTS is, I mean, I know it yeah. is. But like it's part of the Theater Development Fund, and it's this wonderful opportunity for people to be able to buy tickets, especially the same day, at cheaper than face value generally speaking yeah, i mean broadway you know, can be expensive broadway is extremely expensive but if you were to do a week in new york you know the, the the funny thing they say about new yorkers is the only line they'll wait on is either the halal cart or the tkts <laughs> cart and that's the only line you'll see a true new yorker is waiting for those two things so damn true and uh so wow. so you would go to the tkts now even before this though mm-hmm. so you, you were seeing live shows so seeing live shows and now again in Texas, you know, we were also very lucky because I lived near Houston. So it's a major city. So it's a major city. And there, you know, we had the theater under the stars and we would get shows that would come in from out of town. You know, all of the, the traveling shows that people are seeing today, mm-hmm. they were doing that back then. Sure. And that was the only way that we would be able to get live theater yeah. if we did that. And so, you know, there were moments that I remember going to see. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, that's my question. Oh, my God. What was it that we went to see? The Music Man. We saw a production of The Music Man. Classic, 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 classic musical, uh, you know, and it was glorious because it was like, what is going on? And, the, yeah. you know, and of course, in my music class with Miss Howard, we had learned 76 trombones. And sure. so it was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. That's and of course, song. you know, Betty Wiley, my, my thing was Betty Lynn. She, of course, made us watch The Music Man with Shirley Jones and, mm-hmm. and what's his name? Um <sighs> Oh my God, his name is going right out of my head. Yeah, I'm so nervous because I'm like, oh my God, I'm not used to being. This I know person. on your own show. On your own show, yeah. So uh, if you're just joining us, and I get to do a reset that Keith uh, does so well. My name is Chad. <laughs> I'm actually interviewing Keith Bryce on your own show. And all right, so let me ask you a question. Sure. So right now, how many Broadway stages are there? How many? I think like there 25, are like there's 30? like 24. Four or twenty-five Broadway theaters, and there's also a lot of off-Broadway, tons of which off-Broadway. is right on Broadway. Let's exactly. be real; it's all yeah. it's all like an eight-block radius yeah. for the most part. So uh, you see a lot of shows. Luckily, I do now. Yes, I do. So let me ask you: What was that first performance? And Broadway can move mm-hmm. you to tears, both happy and sad. Yep. It can literally leave you dancing in the aisles, yeah. as they say. What was the first performance you saw that you can really remember saying? Oh my God, that actor is no longer whomever that actor is. That mm-hmm. actor is a character. Mm-hmm. This character is alive for me, and this character is resonating with me. Okay. Th- does it have to be no. here? Okay. So when I moved from Texas, this was some 20 years ago, I went to um, what has now become a very big to do theater now, the Zachary Scott Theater, and they did a production of Dream Girls. And there was a woman, her name is Jackie Cross, and if you go to my Facebook page, Keith Price, or my Twitter page, or whatever, she is there. She's still working and living. She's part of a new group of, uh, they have a, a small theater collective there in Austin. And I remember when she sang, and I'm telling you, now mind you... I knew of the song by mm-hmm. that time because this was like the late 90s. I knew of the song because everybody was living Jennifer Holiday's dream. Yeah. But I never saw it in context because I'd never seen the show. So when she comes up to the moment where she's doing, and I'm telling you, there's this wonderful sequence that happens before where 
she gets thrown out of the group. And it's like when she discovers how everybody around her has betrayed her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she's overweight and I was overweight. Sure. And I felt like I'd been betrayed by several people before that moment. And it was just like it was a collision of emotion. And then when she hit that song and started singing, I swear to you, there were only two people in that room at that theater that was not crying when the lights came up. Everybody else, including me, was just bawling, bawling. And to this day, I if, when I have a moment to say something to her online, I always tell her that she was one of my favorite performances ever. And I, I'm telling you. And then after that, it was just like, well, damn. Yeah. If this is what she's giving to me, and the first act is over, what the hell's going to happen in the second act? And then that's when you kind of go through the rest of the story. But I will never forget. I I was in tears, and I you know, and it was like. At that point, it was like, man, is this what can happen when you go to a live theatrical presentation? And I was already in my 20s when yeah. that happened. It's like never did I think I would ever walk away feeling that way. And that stays has stayed with me to this day. And now, of course, when I liken to a, a role or in a moment where I've seen a performer truly do that for me, if you guys get a chance to come to New York City, you must, must, must try to get tickets to see The Color Purple while Cynthia Erivo is still yeah. in the show. Cynthia Erivo is this wonderful girl who, excuse me, wonderful woman, actress, from the UK who was part of the original cast in the UK when they did this new revival. And she came over and let me tell you something. I have never seen anybody at the 11 o'clock number get a standing ovation. Like literally, yeah. pe- everybody in the room stood up. When she hits that note and I'm here, I'm telling you, not a dry eye in the house, and everybody's on their feet. See, one of the reasons why I know Keith really which loves this. Which is why this. she loved, won the Tony. Yes, which way. is why, and she did for uh, Best Actress. For Best Actress, Lead Actress in a musical. musical. Keith, you light up when you talk about Broadway. Yeah? Like, this is like a this is beyond just something you're a fan of. This is a passion for you. So, I'm going to be your fairy godfather for okay. a while. All right? There's so many jokes <laughs> in that. I'm not going to say it. Um... <laughs> But you've seen probably hundreds of plays at this point. At this come point, come now. Go, coming up, yeah. One part, it's yours. Oh my god, one part, and if it was mine, now the, you, and I could do it, like, and, and like, you can do it, and, oh, and you can perform it. it. You, you perform you've got it. the chops for it. Wow, like what meaty part would you love to sink your teeth into? Man, oh jeez, ooh, I think if I could do it as of course, as a man, mm. you know, I, I would love to do, seriously, it's so ridiculous. I would love to be the genie in Aladdin, and I'll tell you why. Because he has the ultimate, my friend James Monroe Iglehart, who of course won the Tony for that, who hopefully we'll be talking to at some point this in this podcast or other podcasts. Yeah. He has the ultimate song and dance number with the costume change, with the the... The set changes with the tap. You know, I love a tap dance yes. number. Jeez, I love a tap dance number. And it is like absolutely everything in a dream role moment for me. Saying now, I would love to do that moment. I don't think I could have the energy to do the whole show. Yeah, but that's that would an exhausting be the moment. play. That's an exhausting one. But that's that's the kind of thing that really lights me up. And so, any kind of role like that, his role is one of those roles. I know it's you know unpopular to say that I would love to play if I could play a female role. 
I was a devotee of Chicago, and I loved Velma Kelly's role, and I could I would love to do Roxy Hart. I think in the end, for me, the ultimate role would be Amos Hart because yeah. he's he's the the lovable but sad, but has great funny moments and has a great number. Yeah. You know, um, Mr. Cellophane, right? Mr. Cellophane, that's it. Not bad for this. Not straight bad. Guy you got it. Phoenix, yeah. So I I think that you know, living in a candor and ebb moment, I think if I really had the chops to do it, I would love to play the. Um, the MC for Cabaret. That would be the role. Yeah, that ex- yes, that that's a great role. role. All right. So let me ask you: What makes a successful musical versus The Lion King versus Phantom of the Opera? These plays that you know well, are never going to be, and you can't buy tickets for it. Well, at least The Lion King. Yeah. What makes there's so many amazing musicals out there, but then you have Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. Hamilton, right now, which Hamilton. has to be discussed. Lion King, mm-hmm. the three of those you can almost put on a different little yeah, pedestal. Absolutely. What separates those plays? You know what? I think if I had the answer for that, I would probably be one of the richest people in the but world. But is it? Is it? The, is there's it, just no. There's no formula. It, is it the book? Is it the music? Is it the staging? You know what? It's the book. It's the music. It's the staging. It's the timing. Yeah. You know, um, it's it is the environment upon which it's all falling into. Like, you know, one of the reasons why Chicago, I think, is so successful, and this is just and it's still playing, it's and still, it's still playing, it's and it's the, moved theaters a bunch of times, and it's still here. It's the longest running American musical yeah. now, and one of the reasons why I think that that show hit it so well when it did is like it landed right smack dab in the middle of the whole O.J. Simpson thing, yeah. and so it had this real life anchor piece. Next to this dramatic, you know, thematic musical experience that kind of mirrored what was going on. And so all of a sudden there was a connection that sure. people were able to make. I think um, like with with Hamilton, for example, Hamilton, you know, is one of those things where it's just it is magic in a bottle. It's lightning in a bottle. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda has crafted probably one of the most genius shows in that he is telling a story about someone who is a historical figure that – People, like, I didn't really know that much about him. Sure. All I knew is that there was a house in Harlem up on 145th Street. And you knew he was on the $10 bill. And I knew he was on the $10 bill, but I didn't know he had this whole story. And what he did was he crafted this wonderful story in such a contemporary way that people today can understand, at least listen to, because of the different styles of sure. music that he chooses. The... the um, the production itself with everyone in that mix playing all kinds of people that, you know, and showing that in this country that seems to want to divide itself, that part of the reason why it's so successful is because of all of those different people connecting. Because we have so many people who are trying to pull us apart. And I think the anti answer to that is, is a play like Hamilton, Hamilton. which it shows actually, no, this is a diverse country that is, can embrace itself. And look at this cast. I mean, you're not going to find a, you know, you you're, not a, find, you're not going to find a lot of people that will be able to walk into that show and get it, too. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And then there's people that, you know, like you think about Phantom, you know, Phantom is one of those. It's just a perennial. Like yeah. people never get tired of, you know, the swinging chandelier. I think a huge part of Phantom success Definitely has to be the staging and Absolutely. those huge numbers, and you know the people, the masquerade step coming down the steps. Come on, it's show. It's, it's it's a show. It's a total show. But then there's all those shows that I remember when I saw them be furious about them closing. Like a good example of a show that it was perfect. It was a perfect musical for people that wanted to come and have a good time on Broadway yeah. and see a great show. Honeymoon in Vegas is a great example. Yes, fun music, 
Really fun story, done very well. People just, you know, they didn't want to spend money to see it. Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. another show. Uh, Frank Wildhorn did that show. Another amazing piece of work. You listen to the score now and you think, God, this song is, these songs are great. The show was really put together well, but it just didn't click. I mean, I guess Christmas time, people don't want to open up with a bloody, yeah. bloody, <laughs> bloody people shot up in a car. Yeah. But, you know, it was such a well done show that I just don't understand why it just didn't connect. And then you have other shows that wind up sticking around for many, many years. Like, you know, Mamma Mia was one of those shows that I never could understand why people loved so much. Yeah. But, you know, I also get that there's comfort in the music. Huge comfort. You know, we were just talking about Motown coming back to Broadway. Yeah, before Motown, we started recording, Motown's coming back after yeah. what seems like only a year away. It seems like it's only a year away, but in that time, it's opened a production out on the West End. It has had a touring company that's been doing very, very well. And I think what's happening is this is like the tour is now zooming through New York, just kind of like when Hair did that a couple of yes. years ago. And so, you know, but that offers a sense of comfort for people because, you know, Again, theater is expensive. It is. And people, you know, it's your entertainment dollar. And you don't want to spend entertainment dollars on stuff that you ain't being entertained at. Right. Well, I mean, I know, comparatively speaking, if I'm going to a movie, I'm reading 10 reviews before I just plop down my $12 for a film. Where are you going for $12? I live on the island. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because it's like 15 and 20. Believe me, I know. That way I think I moved to Long Island. (laughs) All right. So now, but there are some plays that just don't work. Yeah, And I think a lot of that has to do at times where the actor is just not right, right. for certain parts. And that's kind of the business end of Broadway, which you also kind of you have de- to, f- decided to follow, though. You have to respect it, though. Yeah. But so why do you think that happens? I mean, what happens there where we see these plays like, oh, that actress or actor mm-hmm. is, is great outside of it, but they just not a Broadway actor. Well, I mean, I think part of it is because it's about money. I mean, you know, say what you want to say, and thank God for Laurie Metcalf. But just this past season, we did Misery. You yes. saw Misery with Bruce Willis and and Laurie Metcalf. Famous movie, you know, with Kathy Bates and James, James Conn. Yeah. Um, and, of course, when What's-Her-Name did the movie, Kathy Bates, she won an Oscar for that role. So you hope that when it, they're planning on doing this, this, this theatrical presentation of this work, that it was going to have this kind of gravitas and people were going to c- yeah. come to it the same way. And it was the most—I can say it now because it's close. Laurie Metcalf was a genius, but God bless that woman that she literally had to carry Bruce Willis fig- literally yeah. and figuratively through that piece— in order to make it work. And unfortunately, people were there to see Bruce Willis. They weren't really there yeah. to see and, Laurie Metcalf. And from all accounts and the uh, backstage gossip, mm-hmm. he's wearing an earwig that yes. whole show, never memorized his lines. Exactly. And that does happen on Broadway. And I think that the, one of the, the problems that people have a lot of times, especially with the, in the theater community here, because people work very hard to get those roles. People work very hard once they have those roles to do whatever they can with their craft to make it whatever, make it sing. So Fill it black out, yeah. better. And sometimes a lot of these celebrity names that come in that people are paying money to go see don't have the same respect for the the art and for the craft. And so sometimes you sit there and you're thinking, well, I can't believe that he's on the stage and that's what he's given me. You know, but I, I look at it differently than, let's say, the average person that's going into the theater because the average person's like, oh, my God, Bruce Willis is here. Same thing like with Spider-Man. Yeah. OK, let's talk about Spider-Man for a second. One thing about Spider-Man that was annoying to me was I just didn't get why it was why people were that crazy about it. But it became the idea of if I go to see Spider-Man and it's going to be the night when I see somebody fall, somebody break a leg, yes. somebody get crushed by a thing like that kind of becomes the fascination. And then you get away from the fact that, you know, who is it? Jennifer Damian 
Giordano, who's in that, was you know singing these beautiful ballads, and and Patrick Page is giving you this fantastic Green Goblin character. Yeah. I mean, like, and there was a lot of other stuff that was happening, but it was one of those shows where it was just like I, I just I don't get I don't get it. Yeah. But then when you read about the show, there's this really great book. Um, about Spider-Man and uh, working on Spider-Man. What was his name? Glenn Berger, the guy who was part of the book writing team. And he talked about how the whole experience backstage of trying to work that and deal with that and all the craziness that was ensuing and his fights with all of these people. Um, one of the things that he had said was that originally the idea was that that whole show was basically going to be like a Cirque du Soleil that makes sense. experience and they were going to do it like in a tent and you know have all of that kind of it's, you know outside stuff to make it be what it should have been. And so when, when you hear it, it's supposed to be this musical theater piece, and then you go see it, and it's like, but this is, there's just too much going on. Yeah. Unlike the show Paramore, which is currently now on Broadway, which, again, as a musical, yeah. the book needs work, but it's not designed to see, to be that kind of musical. It's actually, it's Cirque du Soleil Presents what they're presenting and oh by the way we have these fabulous singers in it right. and that's different to me because they're not trying you know the story is a little weak sure but, but it's but not it's, about that the story is is a tool or a mechanism to go from set to set and watching people jump flip and carry yeah. and carry on and i think that that's one of those things where you know that could work on broadway because we already know what it's supposed to be and so people you know oh my god they hear Cirque du Soleil well Cirque du Soleil is like all over Vegas Cirque du Soleil travels all over and it almost makes sense that they have a bro it makes yeah. complete dollars and sense that yeah. they have a show and game. they and they have one of the biggest houses actually they're in the same house as Spider-Man was yeah, in precisely. and so they have managed to make that work and I saw people very excited about being there for that show because they knew it as a Cirque du Soleil show versus Jeremy Kushner who was nominated for a Tony for you know Seeing Jesus a, Christ making Superstar. a Broadway show yeah to make it a Broadway show. And so, you know, it will survive because of that, because that has that kind of connection sure. for people that are coming. And so, again, what makes it happen, I think, is that there has to be a connection to the material for the average person to think that would be something that I'd want to see. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also about what are the different demographics that would come to see a Broadway show. And, you know, the color purple, people are thinking that it's just because it's a, a, a black cast that only black people will come to see the show. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Everybody's coming to see that show because the show itself is it's, it's a good show. You know, um, there were periods like, you know, when they try, you know, like right now On Your Feet is happening and people are saying that oh, is it just Latinos that are going to go see that show. And it's like, no, it's a pretty good show the way it is. And oh my God, it's Gloria Estefan. If you don't like Gloria Estefan music, then don't go to the show because that's what you're going to hear. Yeah. Or even you know? like, or, or you had the uh, Twyla Tharp, um, Billy Joel the, the moving, jo the, um, uh, moving, moving on, moving, moving out. Moving out. Moving somewhere. Moving out. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of those shows. If you don't like Billy Joel, don't go. And if, if you, you don't, don't like, like dance, ballet. Exactly. And Twyla Tharp, you know, who's, that's that's dance, you yeah, know? It's, it's like, if you don't care for that, then you're screwed, you know? My, my favorite story about that is, I guess they had a union issue, and at one point, a light has to come onto the stage, mm -hmm. and you should just see this big, burly union guy mid-performance <laughs> doing like a twist with the light, because that's all he was going to do. Uh, and that's, you know, and when you talk to producers about why shows don't succeed versus you talk to actors about why shows su don't succeed, there's a, diff there's a different kind of perspective sure. for both of them. Because from a creative perspective, certain shows 
should succeed. Certain shows should have been on Broadway. You know, like I said, I should still be able to tell people to go see Bonnie and Clyde. Sure. That's in my mind. But that's not the case. But from the produ- producer standpoint, well, we didn't have the audience. We couldn't get the butts in the seats. You know, some people don't like Frank Wildhorn, so the critics are savaging him. You know, so there's there's all these different factors that, that figure into it that you just don't know. It's a crapshoot every time. And okay. some of the things that you think – because they have the right producers, they have the right director, they have the right actors, they have the right music people, you think would be a success. And sometimes they just fall right into the crapper. So we mentioned Bonnie and Clyde as a, a play you'd like to see maybe come back to Broadway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Broadway has a deep history. Right. So uh, and that's a recent one. So let's look even further back. Further back. What would you like to see come back? I mean, well, I, w- I never Dolly is coming back. Uh, see, and I, uh, there's one. I never got to see Oak Calcutta. <laughs> you know, I, I think I'd like to go see that just for... To see what that was all about. See naked old people at this point now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? um, So, hello, Dolly. But but like for Old Calcutta, let's say, for example, I mean, what was revolutionary about Old Calcutta was that there were naked people on the stage. Like, mm, we've seen that now. Time and time again. Well, what's her name? Daphne Rubin Vague? No. Who showed her ass in Rent? Whatever it was. Yeah. Or or was it Adina Menzel who... It was either Adina or, or Daphne. Daphne. I didn't see it with either of them. And right. honestly, that show was a little loud for me. I was a li- it was a little too loud. I saw it too old. Yeah. I should have been there right when it popped. But talk about a play for myself. While I enjoyed Rent, mm-hmm. I saw it when it was supposed to be the end-all, be-all. Right. And it wasn't that for me. For you. But I'll tell you one of the reasons probably why it wasn't that for mm-hmm. you. Because you were of a certain age to where if you were looking at those people with the mindset that we have, we're like, get a fucking job already. Yes, it, that's exactly right. Go get a job. What do you, you know what? Yeah, rent is high, yeah. mother scratches. What's, yeah, get you know? a job. And, and the squatting cons- concept yeah. just didn't resonate with It didn't with resonate me. with you. But there was something about the pain and the, the tragedy that all those characters were going through that res- that people responded to. Like I went to Broadway Con just recently this year when they had it and they did this whole panel with the people from Rent and what happened in that panel discussion is that you just saw the fandomonium that people had because it just but it was people of a certain age that it so clicked into and that demographic of course now is a lot older but that demographic just like zeroed in on that and would not let it go same thing like with the chorus line back in the 70s people zeroed in and that was speaking at a time when you know, this is about struggling actors. Well, struggling actors understand that, but then people who are struggling also get that. But you okay? You mentioned you know some of those plays that like you look at a chorus line. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at the producers. Oh, another one. How, but how does that close? You know why? Because eventually the concept gets played out. I mean, you know. But the Phantom still, I mean, they had the set pieces. They had the song in numbers. Yeah. I guess they didn't have the book as uh, as popular songbook right. that these other pieces have, like Lion yeah. King songbook. You knew but that you know before what? you come in. Before the you show. came into yeah. the show. But I mean, with the producers, that was just, that was another one of those moments where it was the right time, the right climate. You're talking about like after 2001. So yeah. you're talking about people that were in the place to need to laugh and escape. Sure. And that's what the producers provided. I mean. Don't get me wrong, Katie Huffman. When you got it, flaunt it. Shut up. That was my number. Yeah, that was my personal <laughs> number. There's another. No, I would have loved to play Ula. Ula <laughs> it was producer. a great. And then Uma Thurman played it, in the and the movie. movie was terrible. Yeah, and I think they knew. They knew. But Uma Thurman, again, you say Uma Thurman, and you're like, oh my god, that's right, from Kill Bill and all these other exactly. movies. That's why they put her in that that slot. They right. didn't, you know, whatever problems that they may or may not have had with Katie Huffman before or after, which I, you know, I don't really have any privy information, but she, the fact that she could have done that role and done it very well is r- ridiculous. But that was about money. So we are currently 
as we're recording this today, only a month past Mm -hmm. the Tonys. Yes. And we have a lot of shows that are now in the process of literal final curtain calls. Right. And we have a lot of shows that we, (laughs) well, we know, and we we already know the lineup. Yes. And we already know the lineup of shows coming in. That are coming in. For the uh, 20, I guess this will be the 2016 season. Right. 2016, 2017. Yeah. is it a little too early to start making predictions? Now, we don't have to go yeah, performances. Because, yeah, well, it's early to make predictions because we don't really know what and how things are going to be presented and how right. they're going to roll out. Like, you know, there's there's talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um, coming. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, they're doing uh, a reboot of Not a New Brain, but uh, Falsettos, which was a very yes. popular show in the 90s that, you know, now is coming back. Um, there are some really good interesting performances that are going to be happening but the question is how is it going to ultimately resonate with the person in that dollar bill in their hand right. that's and that's the key the only thing that the the producers can do as far as i'm concerned is to just trust that whatever they're putting out there is going to be good and the only thing you can do as an actor or a performer is to know that you're going into doing the best work that you possibly sure. can and at the same time while you're there you know, doing everything you can do to help to get people in those seats because that's what what breaks it down. I want to wrap on this. Okay. Um, and I think we're going to do this some more. And if, by the way, if you have some questions for Keith yourself, absolutely, send them in. Uh, Keith, did you come to Keith Price Curtain Call at Gmail? So you send can email it, me. Yeah. Please. Or you can catch me on Twitter at, at KP Curtain Call. You can find me on Facebook at Keith Price's Curtain Call. Even if you want to catch me on my personal tip as a comedian, you can catch me at, at Comedy Daddy as well on Twitter. And uh, Keith's stand-up routine is as... <laughs> well, no, it's for, I love it. And it's as... What's the word? It's a performance. You're yeah, performing up there. You're absolutely. not You're not going through your jokes. No. You are definitely performing. So, I'm performing and sharing. Yeah, That's so the difference. One of the things I love about Broadway is the actors actually go through a stage door. Yeah. At the end of it. At the end. And I, I imagine you've been there a couple times. I've walked through one or two stage doors in my, yeah. pro, you know. Is that part of the allure of Broadway that here I am watching Al Pacino, mm-hmm. I'm watching Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. and I am literally 75 feet away from this person performing, right. and then after the show, I can be 10 feet, 5 feet away, five from feet them. away from them. Is, is that going to forever keep Broadway Broadway? Well, you know what? I think as, as individual actors, and some of them which I have spoken to on the show, um, several occasions. One of the things that I have I've said to some of them is that one of the, uh, the most personal moment that I've ever had with a particular piece is the day that I stood out there with my my playbill and a sharpie, and they came out and said to me, "Thank you so much for coming," yeah. or "Oh my God, did you have a good time?" You know, signing the playbill, and now it's all about the selfies in the pictures. You know, when those moments happen, those are the pieces of the entire thing that people hold on to. Because I've gone to performances where we have had celebrity names in them, and I shouldn't mention them, but I did say it once on the other air, the other with someone else, <laughs> um, where I was hoping that they were going to come out because I thought their performances were great, good, or whatever, and they went out another door. Wow. Knowing that people were standing outside waiting to say hello or do whatever. And the thing is, is that that moment, and some of these other actors will testify to this, is that that moment takes 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes at the most. I mean, and that's yeah. really, and at some point you can say, listen, I, I truly have to go do something else. I'm I'm so glad if you want, yeah. you can leave your playbills here with a self-addressed stamped envelope. I'll I'll I can sign you. them and I'll send them back to you. But like, if when they make that effort to try to at least connect, that's when people really ultimately take away the full experience of what that whole thing is. You know, the stage door is very important for that. And there's some actors that truly respect it. I remember going to see a performance of Elf. And 
Okay, I said it, Elf. It was. It's it, a, it, you know what, Buddy the Elf, shut up. That number is fabulous. And all right? let me tell you, that is another <laughs> one of those plays that you and I have talked about briefly on air and off air. It's a no-brainer of a show. You know you're going to go in, get entertained, hear some great numbers, you're mm-hmm. going to get in the spirit. Everything about that show great. is a smart idea. Well, you know, and so we're standing out outside of the st- stage door, and one person walks out, Tony Award winning, Beth Level comes out. She's signed. She's fabulous. She's wonderful. She's talking to the people. The kids are great. Um, uh, not George Went. Uh, who's the other guy from? John Ratzenberger? Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, Newman. The guy that plays oh, Newman. Oh, yeah, Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight was playing the Santa Claus character, and he came out and signed and did everything and people were very excited. The guy who played Buddy the Elf, I didn't really know him as an actor. Mm. He li- and you know and there's kids standing outside too cuz that's also very important too because that's also how it stays alive because and that's you the make future. the connection that's the future. These are future customers. And this guy played Elf came out, walked right past everybody, didn't speak, didn't wave, uh. didn't do anything, came all the way out and walked and went right past them. And it wasn't until the guy at the door said, you know, that's the guy who played the elf. And then all you saw were these kids' faces just all fall because they all wanted to say hi. Now, to me, it would have taken him 10 minutes if he had a cough or something. He could say, I'm really, really sick. I don't or feel I well. Or I just sang for three I, hours yeah. on stage. Well, you know, but but that's part of the, the game, too. Yeah. You have to play, you have to be complicit in that part of the, the experience. Because if you're not, then you're cheating the, your, your, your future paying customers. Because, because let me tell you something, yeah. those kids remember. And it's not a one-time performance. No. And I think, we'll wrap on this, I think the best Broadway actors the Frank Langellas, the the names you constantly hear going up mm-hmm. there year after year. And you, oh, they got nominated? Well, wait for that victory. Mm-hmm. Matthew uh, Broderick, um, Nathan Lane, those you know marquee yeah, names, the, they get the game. They get the game. Well, they better get the game. But then there's other actors like James Monroe Iglehart. Who and, I'm so excited to meet, so we got to wrap this up. We got to wrap this <laughs> up. And 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 Geneva Carr yeah. and, and Leslie Margarita, who was in Matilda, who yes. did... like These are all names that you may not know now, per se, if that's how you live in your life, you know, but those are the names of the, the people that really get it. And yeah. they understand that that connection is just as important as them getting upstairs and making sure that they know those those steps and those songs. And that connection also is why they agree to do your show. Because Aww. they get, A, you're here to love up on them. Mm-hmm. And they also get, hey, we get to connect with our fans because they may not be a... A, a marquee name, mm-hmm. the bold name. They're not selling the ticket, but their performance is selling the ticket. That's, that's it, baby. And that's why they agree to come here. And every one of the guests you've brought into the studio since we started doing this show have been nicer than the next. Aww. And I think that's a testament to the, the Broadway actor. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. You know, they're gr- they should be grateful to be working. And I'm thrilled... You know, one day maybe I'll be working with them too. Who knows? Hey, and still doing this. All right. So do I get fun. to wrap up or do you wrap you up? You wrap it up. All right. There you go. Uh, my name is Chad. That is Mr. Keith Price. The show is Keith Price's Curtain Call. Uh, please tell your friends about the show. Yes. And please rate and review us. We're in the iTunes store. Mm-hmm. Uh, SoundCloud. Everywhere. Everything. Everything everywhere. you can find it and you can get it. And uh, it's great. And your email again. I, Keith Price Curtain Call at gmail.com. All right, now, we're going to stop tape now, but a little behind the scenes, the genie from Aladdin this year. So get ready for that episode. It's coming up soon.